Listener Production. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. If this interview raises any concerns for you, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14. And on Health Hacker from time to time, Adam sits down with someone and interviews him because he thinks, you know what, you are going to absolutely love this and get some information. Remember, if you want Adam to interview someone specifically, email him healthhackerathemanshake.com.au. Adam, on this episode, you interviewed Craig Hamilton. Why did you want to speak to him? Yeah, look, Craig is a guy that I got to know over the years. He caught a lot of the games of uh, rugby league that I played in and we didn't know, but, um, you know, he was a guy that uh, was with inches of um, ending his own life and um, he was saved and uh, he's written two great books about it, Broken Open and A Better Life. And mental illness is something that, um, you know, everyone in this um, world's going to face either directly or indirectly through family and loved ones. Um, it's well documented. I unfortunately lost the brother last year and it's something I'm passionate about now because we didn't see it coming. So a lot of people out there struggling. I'm hoping this interview might be able to save someone's life. That's how important this conversation is going to be today. And he's a guy that's lived and breathed it. You know, he was on the edge and he's got some great actionable uh, tips that you can um, apply straight away today. So if you're somebody out there that's um, struggling, um, you know, please listen to this interview because it could change your life. Yeah, that's the big thing that came out of this interview for me, Adam, was the actual actionables. Enjoy. Well, the man now joins us. How are you, Craig? Very well. Adam, good to see you. Well, we've known each other for a long time, but a lot of people out there wouldn't be familiar with your story. Can you just give a little bit of background about who you are, what you do, etc.? Okay. So, from a professional career yep. point of view, I'm a broadcaster with ABC Radio and have been full-time for over 20 years. I did probably five years part-time before that, called the NRL as a commentator for 20 years and I still have a program in Newcastle, which is a, a six-hour Saturday program. So uh, broadcasting is, is what I do. The backstory, though, in the, uh, I suppose, these days, what we're going to talk about today in well-being and health is I come from a mental health background and not because I'm a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a counsellor. I don't have any qualifications. I come from a consumer's point of view, someone who's had a lived experience of a very poor mental health, mental illness about 20 years ago and uh, diagnosis of bipolar disorder, which just basically turned the world upside down and had to literally rebuild myself and get to a point where I can manage that illness and not only function or manage it, I thrive. My attitude is to thrive in life and flourish. And so far, so good. Yeah, you've you've certainly, you know, and I encourage anybody out there to go and you've written two books, Broken Open and A Better Life, and that will really explain your story. But it was, you know, life and death, literally, wasn't it, for you where you were? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was. When you get to a point where you're suicidal mm. and you've got no idea why, then it's a scary place. It's an awfully mm. scary place to be walking. And given that it happened so quickly, really, because... Professionally, personally, I was at the top of my game at the back end of 1999. I had the dream job. I had great friends, uh, no money problems, um, great family support. But within seven or eight months, I went from that point to July or August of 2000 and I was suicidal. Mm. I'm going, where's this come from? And, you know, I found out and I now know that with bipolar disorder, if it's untreated and undiagnosed, those mood swings can be horrific. Mm. And, uh, you know, that's, I survived, uh, luckily, 
Yeah. And people's lives can change in a blink of an eye. Like yep. you touched upon, you went from the highest of the highest to the lowest of the lows. Correct. And that's why you're so passionate about what you're doing now, which is going out there and speaking to corporate, speaking to people, sharing your story, trying to not only destigmatize mental health, which I'm all for, but the reality is you need to take action. Mm. It's great to talk about these things, but we need people giving people tools yeah. so that they can deal with this serious illness that's, you know, afflicting so many Australians out there. One in two people will suffer from mental illness, it's predicted, and I would argue that every single one of us at some stage is going to be affected by it. I know personally I lost my brother to it, so it's something I'm passionate about. I know with my brother's situation, it, it really, you know, it was too late once we realised that he was suffering from post-traumatic stress and he had formed addictions. But, um, you know, I wish I would have known some of the actual actionables that I could have helped him with to, to deal with it sooner and maybe read some of the signs that he was suffering mentally. Um, you know, you were able to turn it around. Can you explain to us how you did that? Because it's an amazing story. With an awful amount of support. Mm. That's it in short. Yeah. Uh, and I'm blessed for that support. I, fabulous family, mm -hmm. um, family that stayed together, mm -hmm. you know, uh, what my wife uh, was at the cornerstone of that because it would have been through the, the worst parts of it so easy to walk away. Mm -hmm. And I know that was on the cards because uh, she's written a chapter in both books and, and I said to her, you write the way you saw it, you know, you write it from you know, your observations, I'm not going to hold you back here. And she said in the first book in Broken Open that she'd considered leaving many occasions and taking three young children going because it all got so hard. But she stayed and that was so important and the family unit staying together, the best friends you could ever want stuck solid as well. Mm -hmm. I had a workplace that stayed supportive and kept my job going for me. There'd be so many other people who are not that fortunate. They lose jobs through periods of severe mental illness for a whole range of reasons. So, you know, and then you could quite in quite easily end up, and many Australians do, with undiagnosed mental illnesses. They fall through the cracks. This breaks down, that breaks down, something else breaks down, lose the job, the relationship, the money, they're on the street. Mm. And when they're there, uh, there's no wherewithal to make that comeback. So I'm blessed, and that's a big part of what I continue to do now is because I realise how fortunate I am. Mm. Amazing. So... Um Support network, number one. Mm -hmm. So if you're out there and you are struggling, you know, have the courage to tell people you are struggling. Own it. Um, you do see it from time to time, don't you? Some people allow their diagnosis to define and justify their behaviour. Yep. And don't take ownership of the fact that they aren't behaving well. Um, so that was a big one, particularly COVID. We, we touched upon it just before we got on, but um, a lot of people now are really struggling because of the isolation. We know that, you know, social connection and community is so important for our mental health and well-being. You know, some people argue through scientific research that, you yeah. know, social isolation is the equivalent of smoking one pack of cigarettes a day. That's fascinating when it mm. comes to adverse effects on your health. To think that smoking a pack of cigarettes is not as bad for you as being isolated for your health is just mind-blowing. So mm. going and finding people that they can actually connect with is really important, like you touched upon. What are some of the other things? I know that you've really took a deep dive, but surprisingly, a lot of people wouldn't realise the power of sleep, would they? No, they wouldn't. It's um, it's something I never thought was that important, mm. you know. And when you're manic, and I've had these manic episodes, 
or certainly elevated moods all my life. And you don't look back and see, hey, I was a bit high or I was a bit low when I was 14 until you have the mother and father of all highs, psychosis, and end up in hospital and get a diagnosis. You look back at your life and say, well, these mood swings have been there forever. So the uh, sleep is so important because it, it I didn't ever put it or mark it as a, as a priority, but it is incredibly important. And good lifestyle choices. I mean, alcohol was a thing that I had to look at seriously. So I'd call myself a social drinker, but certainly a binge drinker. If I would have a drink, there didn't seem to be an off button. That was definitely something that uh, impacted on my mental health in a negative way. So these days, if I have a beer or two beers, that's it. The days of the binge drinking are gone. I eat better today. I exercise again. I got back into that routine of regular exercise. Sticking around with people who lift you up. That's another one. Not drag you down. Now, I'm resilient enough now and comfortable in my own skin and I know that what I'm doing, the road I'm walking is the right road. So that stuff doesn't bother me. But a lot of people are caught in a in a circle or a cycle of sticking around and engaging too much with people who are interested more in dragging them down and being negative around them, in some cases toxic around them, and that's a really difficult place to get out of. So I always say to people, be very careful who you choose to to spend your time with. Yep. Yeah, very good advice. So, taking a deeper dive then into into some of these actionable tips, sleep. Um, obviously, someone that had bipolar wasn't a great sleeper, like you said, because of your your, your diagnosis. Um, how did you hack into that sleep to to make it something that was efficient and optimized? Well, the first thing you got to do is stabilize your mood. Yeah. Because if your mood's not stabilized, then you can say, oh, "I need to get a good night's sleep." Mm. It's so important. You won't be able to. Yeah. It's physically impossible. So. Once the mood is stabilised and you get back to um, a normal biorhythm, you're not high, you're not depressed, then you've got to take some uh, steps towards making sure you're not overstimulated when you do go to bed. So no caffeine okay. after midday. So that's a rule, no caffeine after so, midday? Yep, yep. That's a, that's a rule. Um, I don't like listening. I love loud music. I love going to see bands, live music. I don't listen to it, though, at 9 o'clock at night okay. or 10 o'clock at night unless I'm at a live show yeah. Um, yeah. because it'll wind you up. Anything that hypes you up. Music's very powerful, isn't it? If you want to improve your mood, listen to music, but if you're trying to wind yourself down, make sure that you're not listening to it. Yeah. Great tip. Yeah. Unless it's something nice and gentle. Yeah. Yeah. So you can use okay. music as well to yes, help you sleep. Yes, okay. definitely. Yep. But you've got to choose wisely right. again. Yep. So make sure, you know, obviously the, the simple ones are – uh, make sure you're comfortable okay. um, when you go to bed. But another good one, I, I try if you if I'm feeling stressed, tired, a bit ragged around the edges, is to I love a hot bath, well, not okay. completely hot. Epsom salts, bit of essential oil in there, and maybe a book, yep. a good book. And I'm reading a, a cracker at the moment, and you just it it just relaxes you. And it relaxes the muscles, winds you down, and it's called prep, just preparing to go to sleep. And uh, it and the other thing is alcohol, of course. Yep. Some, some people say, "Oh, I'm going to have a couple of beers or a couple of red wines, or and and you know that'll get me ready to sleep." It actually is not good for your sleep pattern. It throws you throws you out. So that's another one to to be mindful 
of if you are having problems sleeping. And do you try and avoid social media as well and, and TV screens and, and overstimulating your brain from that? Because I know you're somebody that's very passionate about sport in particular mm. and that would wind you up. I imagine you watching sport and whatnot. <laughs> I wish I could come on here and honestly say that I was better at that than yeah. I actually am because I we live in a world where social media is a thing. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, we can't avoid it. Mm-hmm. Some do and they do it well, but it's a very useful tool uh, and you know yourself in, in, you know, with the man shake and the other, the other areas that you're, you're working in and I'm working in the mental health sp- space and I'm doing plenty of speaking. I've got a couple of books to get your message out. This is the way we do it yeah. in 2021. Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter to a to a lesser degree. So you've got to, you know, I use those and I think they're wonderful tools. But getting that balance right of, you know, being constantly on there and, mm. you know, using social media at midnight is not going to be conducive to good sleep. Well, it's a, it's a big threat to the well-being and mental health of, I would argue, teenagers these days. Any advice around that for them? Because mental health is something you speak about in schools, I know. Some advice there because it's, it's you know, bullying, particularly on oh, yeah. cyberbullying is just out of control. I know a number of young people have tried to take their lives off the back of it and, um, yeah, some advice there about how they could manage that. The story that hit me most in the online cyberbullying space was Dolly Ed- Everett's mm. story. I don't know if you're just familiar. Just expand on that, yeah. Well, Dolly Everett, 15 years of age, a beautiful girl, just a, you know, um, a beautiful soul and she lived in the Northern Territory and she had, I think she'd done one television commercial and the kids that she, her peer group at school, whether they were jealous of her and what she was doing with her life or they just wanted to bring her down a notch or two because she was such, such a beautiful kid, they bullied her incessantly online. It was just constant 24-7. The days when you and I went to school, the bullying, if there was any bullying, it it was in the playground and then you had some respite at least until the next day. It can be 24-7. Now, she took her own life. They'd bullied her to a point where she became incredibly isolated, incredibly anxious, incredibly stressed and depressed and took her own life. I thought, what a terrible waste and it does happen and it's very powerful and whenever I talk to the kids, I say, look, number one is don't believe everything that other people say about you. Mm-hmm. Number, that's, that's the first bit of advice. Yep. People can say what they like. You've got no control over what someone else says. The thing you've got control over is how you feel about you. So spend some time, just ignore that stuff. And I know it's not that simple, but if someone's giving you a hard time online, block them mm-hmm. straight away. You don't have to engage. You don't have to find out. You certainly don't have to change your own behaviour or, you know, try to pretend you're something that you're not just so they will like you. If they are bullying you and giving you, the, you know, a, a hard time online, they don't deserve your friendship. So block them, stop them, and then find people who want to lift you up because it can be, yeah, it can be a spiral. So it's, it's a different world than it was for you and I. So uh, that's some of the messages I try to give the kids. Yeah, as a parent, it's something I'm really afraid of. 
So, yeah, that, that's great advice. I suppose, um, yeah, block them, surround yourself with more positive people and realise that these wonderful lives that people appear to be living, social mm. oh. media, <laughs> aren't exactly the lives that they're living. They always look so handsome and they've yeah. got so much hair, which I'm jealous of. And, yeah, you know, they always look the you best You have life, been looking yeah. at my uh, social media. <laughs> <laughs> it's always, yeah, they do. They always look like glamorous. Ever, don't they? they always look like they're living this perfect life. But the yeah. reality is, yeah. is that's only a microcosm snapshot of where their life is at one particular point of time. And I often say to people who are suffering from mental health that, um, you know, you, you might be having a bad day, but it's not a bad life. Yeah. And, um, you know, realistically, you know, life's all about, you know, your focus. What you focus on is what you get. Mm. So I encourage people not to focus on how great everyone else's lives look on social media and how crap theirs looks. Put it into perspective. Yeah. And when you talk about the, you know, the worst outcome, mm. the most tragic outcome of, 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 you know, of online bullying and of um, mental illness in its most severe form, suicide, it's... You know, it really is a temporary um, or a permanent solution, rather a permanent solution to a part-time problem yeah. or a, or a, a problem that can be resolved. Be, be resolved, rectified. People heal and people recover, and I think I'm an example of mm. that. I've been, I've walked that road, and it's a really tough road, but it's one that you can walk back, and that's a message of hope that I have, and hopefully it's an inspirational message that people can walk away and say, well, gee, that made a huge difference, and I know it has because mm. I've had an amazing correspondence from people all around Australia who haven't got a clue who I am. I mean, I've got in New South Wales, Queensland – a profile with the rugby league mm -hmm. coverage, but when you're getting mail from Western Australia, it's AFL state, and you're getting emails from there to say, look, I, I read your book. I had one memorable one from a guy in Western Australia who said, I read your book 12 months ago, and because of your book, my two sons have a dad today. Yeah, wow. What's your advice there? Because, you know, like you said, it's a, it's, it's a permanent decision when you think about taking your life and you're probably unaware of the devastation that you would leave mm. behind you. How do you speak to somebody that is irrational about their situation like that where they can't see the devastation they would cause through their actions? How do you bring them out of that self-centred focus of, you know, I suppose just looking for that pain relief for want of a better word, but the well, devastation, how do you let them see that? Well, having been in that place suicidal thinking, mm. and anyone else who's ever walked that road, you get to a point where your despair is so great, mm. your, your pain, your emotional pain is so great, uh, and the depression is just overwhelming, and you see no way out. You mm. see, because you slide into a depression, and this was certainly true for me, over a period of eight months, where every day just got slightly worse mm -hmm. than the day before, and you lose hope. You literally despair. You get to that point at rock bottom and even though you are, you can rationalise the fact that your, your suicide would cause devastation, mm -hmm. absolute devastation to your immediate family, to your friends, to your work colleagues, to the rest of the community because it's the ripple effect. Mm. It just goes through. It's still, your thinking and your emotional pain still overwhelms that. So I can understand how it happens. Mm. I can understand 
how it happens. So it's it's definitely not as simple as you know, clicking the fingers and saying this is going to affect so many people, don't do it. Mm. It's not that simple. Yeah, because I often hear people say that, but like you said, it's not that simple. No, so, it's yeah, not. They often say that if you want to make yourself feel better, do something for somebody else. You know, it's a great, it's a great, um, it's a great saying. That yeah. Thing is, we can't in this country. That's a saying. <laughs> well, it, it's in this country. We've got to be aware mm. that the suicide rate in Australia mm. is double the road toll. I know. Double. Double. Yep. Every year. And that doesn't include people who've considered taking their lives and it doesn't take into account those who've attempted suicide and survived. So it's say it's not a problem. To say it's not a problem is a is a myth. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. I think the best antidote is these actual actionables mm. that stop you from getting to that point in the first place. So we know that the pillar of good mental health is sleep. Yep. Um, I would argue the next pillar would be stress management and anxiety. Would that be fair to say? You know, stress would be another big trigger. It is. It is. So, um, well, for someone like who has bipolar yep. disorder, right, mm-hmm. uh, for me, Medication yeah, is course. still top of the list. So yeah. I've got to say that for the yeah. record, you know, all the health and well-being stuff, as, as important as, as all that is, it's not going to be enough for an illness like this because yeah. it's a tricky illness. So I put that at the top of the list. But then we work through the health and lifestyle stuff. So sleep, incredibly important. Uh, managing stress. Yeah, so let's dive into these one by one. So stress, yep. okay, that's the next one. What, what's, what's your antidote there? What did you do to… Right. Somebody pushed me in the direction… Of yoga yep. when I was stressed all the time and when I was anxious all the time. And I thought that was just a wonderful thing. Somebody said to me once, you don't find yoga, yoga finds you. And at that time, I needed to find something and I found it just wonderful because, you know, when you're acutely stressed, you, you know, you can feel it in your shoulders, you can feel it between your back, your body just is crying out for this relief to be, you know, get rid of this stress. It's not just in your head, you carry it right through your body. That's the beauty of yoga, that you can actually work this stuff out. You're physical, you're doing something physical, actually stretching. And the other thing is you can't think about anything else. So you're mindful. You're mindful. Try to do yoga and if you're doing it properly, following your, your instructor, your yoga instructor, you cannot think about what you were doing that day. You can't think about what you're doing tomorrow. You think about brings you right into the present moment. Because that's what a lot of mental illnesses are from is fatalising the future, what may happen in the future, mm. you know, or looking back yep. and dramatising or demonising or monsterising past events so that's you're not right. living in the present. Which you have no control over. Yeah. And we have no control over what happens a week from now. Yep. So th- this is the only moment. Yep. So we better make the most of it. So finding activities that allow you to ground yourself in the actual moment are helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Expand on breathing because obviously yoga, that, that's, you know, the underpinning huge benefit of yoga is, is, is breath. And we, like you said, if we are in an aroused state, a fight or flight state, um, we are basically in a sympathetic nervous system state, so we're aroused and then you're not breathing right. So you're breathing not from the diaphragm but, you know, shallow and that sends a signal to your body that you're mm-hmm. under threat. Can you explain to people how that played a big role as well, the breathing of yoga? Breathing is just, 
you know, we take it for granted because it just happens. Yeah. It just happens. Yeah. Breathing just happens. We're, we're born and we just take a breath and we, we take it for granted. But conscious breathing mm-hmm. is fantastic to just slow you down. Yeah. You just, if you, you know, in through the nose, out through the mouth, hold at, at both ends. And then I just find it's, it's a beautiful thing when you are when you are stressed and you're running too fast. These days I'm conscious enough to take a step back, yep. sit down, and then just do some. It and it only takes three or four breaths, and immediately you notice there's a physiological difference, mm. and you go, "This is powerful." Yeah. Imagine what you did if you you know did it for half an hour. Yep. We can always find time to do that. Yeah, beautiful, isn't it? So mm. if you're not a great meditator, just breathe. Just focus on your breath. It's a great place to start. Box breathing, which you alluded to there, which is four seconds in, four seconds hold, four seconds out, four seconds hold. Mm. Something the military use and high-performing soldiers and, and athletes have used. I know I used it myself to, to obviously control my arousal levels. So, yeah, I think people need to really focus on these things that are free. You know, they're available to all of us and they're not some woohoo thing. They're just, you know, something that we take for granted. Like you mm. said, you know, on average 70,000 breaths a day we take, yet we don't know what <laughs> to do the right, we don't know how to bloody breathe, you know, yeah. so it's fascinating. So, okay, so we're at the stress management. Was there anything else on the stress management side? Did you have find a hobby or a passion or something that allowed you to be mindful as well? Uh, the, uh, well, you mentioned meditation and, and I, the thing about meditation for a lot of people, it's certainly true for me as well, we have monkey minds. Mm. We, our concentration span is so short. Mm. And so I found meditation very difficult because sitting down there and not thinking about nothing, which is what meditation is. The moment you've got no thoughts in your mind and you're sitting there, um, you're effectively meditating. I remember reading a brilliant thing, brilliant quote. It said something like 90% of the world's problems come about because man is incapable of sitting in a room by himself for 10 minutes. True. And you think about it, you say, well, that's right. How many people could do it? Or half an hour. I could do it now. Mm. I don't know how I would have gone 20 years ago. I think I'd have been fidgety and I'd been up and I'd be wanting to get out that door and do something and find someone to talk to. That's the beauty of, you know, being conscious, being aware. It's a fascinating thing is that we're not comfortable being comfortable all the time, just sitting by ourselves, being with ourselves. We don't like our own company. Yeah. And it's something you need to learn to be comfortable with yourself. And I use the analogy for a lot of people, don't try to meditate. If you can't do it, you feel like you're failing, you're not, you know, because like you said, there's so much distraction. We're living in an environment now where basically we're training our brains to be distracted. You know, mm. they're so good at yes. it now with mobile phones and whatnot. And that's why we've got to be very aware yeah. of social media because it is training us to be have a very much shorter attention span. Yeah, 100%. And meditation is like, you know, I say to people, it's like when you don't know how to meditate, it's like being in the rain. But when you learn how to meditate, it's like being inside and watching the rain. So mm. all it is is watching your thoughts, you know. Yeah. So you're never going to escape your thoughts. They're always with you. But it's having the ability to create that space between your thoughts and your emotions and your reactions. Mm. And that that's the key, I think, to controlling your brain. But, What's um, the Dalai Lama say about meditation? You, you need to meditate for half an hour every day. And if you're really, really busy, you better meditate for an hour. <laughs> So good, isn't it? So good. So we've got the sleep, the stress management. Then what come, comes next for you, you believe? Oh, the diet's yeah. incredibly important. So go, go into that. Yeah, right. Well, I didn't ever, I don't think I ever ate really poorly. Mm. You know, I'd have the fast food every now and again, not all the time. Uh, I would put sugar 
in mm-hmm. tea and coffee. So both those things are gone. Yep. Right? Both are gone. I limit now the amount of coffee I have. I have two coffees a day. Yep. I love my before coffee. Before 12 I'm, o'clock, like you said earlier. Before 12 yep. o'clock might be an exception today because I've yep. got this interview going <laughs> over past lunch time. But the... The thing is, I was probably six a day. Yeah. I was drinking six a day when I first started wow. in the That's media. Anxiety. Well, it was just constant adrenaline. I was yeah. feeding on adrenaline and I've definitely been an adrenaline junkie in my life. And, of course, the downside is that it'll just drop you. Mm-hmm. Same as sugar will, take you, you know, take you upstairs and then drop you. So those things, I eat less red meat. Mm-hmm. I haven't gone vegetarian, but I eat less red meat per week. More greens, more vegetables. I drink a lot more water. Yep. Hydration, so underrated. Most of us are dehydrated. Yep. Most of us are dehydrated. And you have, all these things are good for physical health, but they're also critically important for mental health. So less bread uh, than I used to eat as well. So more, I'm far more conscious on, on what I eat eat than ever before and it's made a, made a difference. Yeah, it's a journey of self-discovery, isn't it? It's, it's basically, I always say to people, if you want to learn what works for you, just pick up the most powerful thing in the world and that's a pen. And 30 minutes after you've eaten something, go to your, your diary and write down how you feel after you've eaten that particular food, whether it's bread, dairy, whatever it might be, because you don't want to follow someone else's path because what works for them doesn't necessarily work for you. We all have individual biology and that's what makes human beings so fascinating. We're so different and mm. what works for me isn't going to work for you. So you've got to find what works for you. So, you know, don't go team extreme. Obviously, you know, say, well, I'm going to try and cut out, let's call it, you know, not eating red meat as much this week. And after you eat the red meat, write down how you feel. Are you anxious? Do you feel agitated? Do you feel bloated? Do you feel sick? Well, if you do, put a cross next to it and then report how you feel after you don't eat red meat, but maybe white meat and try to find the things that mm. work for you. And that's what you obviously did. You went through and, you know, little bit by little bit, so to eliminate things that you found irritated your mood as such. Yeah. And I also got some advice mm. as well. Um, you know, a lot of the things I talk about now have been through a journey of self-discovery. Yeah. I read a lot. I realised 20 years ago when I became so so ill, so mentally ill, and I ended up in a psych hospital for mm. over two weeks and came out and here, you know, I the eggs are scrambled. Mm. I'm busted, basically. And, and then in the process of getting better, I thought things have to change. Mm. Things have to change. Another great saying, you know, is... Uh, what's the definition of insanity? Keep doing the same thing over and over again Albert and expecting Einstein. a different result. Well, I knew that's, I've got to make some changes here. And so I started to read and started to educate myself on all of these things, including diet. And I talked to a few people and they had some some ideas. And as you say, rightly, you just because someone puts it in front of you and said, this is the way, mm. Doesn't mean it's going to be the way entirely for you. It's then you've got to tweak things to to suit you. But there were some, you know, key. There were some key ones in there that that uh, needed to change and did. And yeah, diet put it up near the top. Perfect. And hydration was a great one you touched upon as well. People just don't realise. You know, statistically speaking, they say that over seventy eight percent of people are dehydrated. So, mm. and we know the importance that has on mental function and mental capacity as well. So, all right. So we've got that, and then you know the the one that I know that you do love the most out of all these <laughs> pillars is exercise, mate. You throw a mean punch these days. Oh uh, yeah, I've improved. Yeah. So <laughs> let's talk about exercise and how that played a huge role for you as well. 
Well, I'd always played a lot of sport. Mm-hmm. So um, I played uh, rugby union mm-hmm. and I played cricket. I played a lot of cricket. So as a competitive person playing competitive sports up until the age of 30, the fitness side of it was never an issue. But then I went into a radio job. I got a lot busier. Then I started to lead a more sedentary life. I'd been a coal miner when I left school. So it was a lot of physical work there and I was able to burn a lot of energy off. And like it was like a, a gym session working in a mine. Once all that finished and I went into radio, it became a much more sedentary lifestyle and I didn't have the time. And one of the things that went by the wayside was exercise. And it took me a while to realise, no, you've got to, you're becoming a sloth. This is not good for your mental health. You've got to get back into a form of regular exercise. So I have, and I'd always like boxing training. I think it's, I still think it's the best overall training you can do. Fantastic aerobically. It's good for, you know, shoulders, back, core, legs, you, you name it. But it, and it's, it's the vigorous form of training and I train that way, short, sharp session, do half an hour uh, twice a week with a personal trainer and I've got a punching bag at home if I re- feel really keen or a bit <laughs> pissed off, yeah. get on there and have a, have a crack. But uh, that just clears me up. To start the day with a boxing session, you just walk out of there and you feel a million dollars. And you probably realise you have to be mindful when you're boxing. So yeah, you do you know it's not like some of these guys I see in the gym who are on their phones more than they are lifting weights. When you're <laughs> actually training for boxing, if you go to look at your phone, you're going to get a left hook in the head, and you won't be looking at your phone again. So <laughs> you have to be really mentally switched yeah. on. Don't it's you? a great present. thing, and I, I'm not in there sparring. I mean, I'm too old for that caper. But the pads, working on the pads with a personal trainer, mm-hmm. a boxing trainer. You've really got to focus because yep. you got to hit those pads. That's yep. the target. You've yep. got a target which is moving the whole time, uh, which and that's a form of yep. meditation yeah. or being absolutely present. Mm. You, it's a great way to be absolutely present. Yeah, yeah. Caesar Milan, the dog whisperer, who's someone I admire. You know, dogs or animals they have brains like we do. Um, maybe not as big or bigger than most people's brains, some of them, but um, <laughs> interestingly enough, you know, he talks about if you want to change a dog's behaviour, you, you make sure that it doesn't have pent up energy. So you don't, you know, put it in a small space, you make it move and it expels that that anxiety and that, yeah. that tension and that mental build-up. So it's important that people realise that when you're moving your body, you're pumping, you know, all the, the fluids throughout your body, you're moving the body and you're moving your emotions as well, aren't you? That's why you feel a high mm. after you exercise because then emotions come to the surface. Yeah. They're bubbling with inside you and they can't escape and they're, they're frustrated. But when you move, them emotions come to the surface and you feel great. You've got the endorphins kicking yep. in and, yeah it's, yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, so people that, you know, are struggling out there, just even go for a walk, you know, Dr. I Andrew say to Huber. people, if you, even if you are in the pit of a depression, you don't feel like getting out of bed, you can't get out of bed, if you just manage to get up and walk around the block, get outside, get some sunshine. Sunshine's another sunshine, big one. Sunshine, yeah. Talk about that. Why is that important? Look, apart from the obvious vitamin D, mm. just fresh air. Yep. Get out into nature. Ground yourself. Uh, grounding. Yeah, that's another big grounding. One. Yep. Shoes off. If yep. you're on the beach, if you're lucky enough to live near the beach, get your feet in the sand. But on the grass is good. Get out into into nature. If you if you live near bushland, do that, and and it's just 
takes away, it's got a capacity in itself to release stress. Yeah, amazing, isn't it? They did a recent study in hospitals actually where they put people in a room after the same surgeries, but they put them in different rooms, same surgeries. They put some patients in a room with no view, just a room. They put another group of patients in a room with a view out into the forest and they then put another group of the patients in a room with a beautiful photo of a forest and they monitored their healing rates as such and it was no surprise that the people with the actual view healed much faster and they double the rate of people with no view and then second come the picture people with mm-hmm. the, the view. So it just shows the power of how we're so connected to the environment. You spoke about grounding before. It's seen as woohoo but, you know, the reality is is that we're all driven by energy, electrical energy, and that gives off that, that charge of energy, so putting your feet in the sand, getting back to nature, even forest bathing where you go out into nature and smell the, the different scents has a, an effect on the brain. Yeah. And just walking, like we said earlier, you know, the, the brain, you think about it when, when our eyes, our visual system particularly dictates our mental health, you know, when we become trapped in our brains, it's because our vision is trapped. So you have this narrow focus. So if you're somebody that's working on the computer or somebody that's watching TV or playing computer games, your arousal levels and anxiety levels are going to increase naturally because your focus has been so narrow. And the brain think it's, thinks it's under under threat when it, the focus is narrow because you're yeah. focusing in narrow. So if you can just even stand up for a while and just look out at the gaze, that opens up your focus and it makes your brain feel like it's not trapped. And that's why walking works so well as well because when you're walking, you're moving forward. So you, don't, you feel like you're progressing. You're not under threat. When you're retreating, you're under threat. So controlling your visual system is very important for your mental health. So if you're somebody I out, haven't heard anyone talk about that before. Mm, it's fascinating. I've never heard anybody talk and... and um, explain it mm. the way you just, you have. So I've immediately learnt something here today. Yeah. It, made, it makes a lot of sense and I can I, I know through people that I've spoken to before that I wish I had that advice mm. to give them because that would have been perfect. Well, what do you do when you're stressed? Most people reach for their phone and their vision becomes... Or they reach out. for something else. Or they reach for something else. A beer. A beer. A cigarette. Cigarette. A drug. Yeah. Um, do a bit more work. Be addicted to anything. And where do they go in their their mind? They go more narrow. Mm. They continue to go narrow. Yeah. And they retreat back within themselves, whereas progression gives you that sense of you're moving forward, you're not under threat. So it's Dr. Andrew Huberman, I give him credit for that. He's a neurologist, a freak of a human being. And for more stuff on how you can rewire your brain, go and listen to him. Um, He's a lot smarter than I am. Um, Any other great tips? Because, mate, you've given us so much today, but is there anything else that you want to walk away today knowing that you've passed on? Final thought. There's always a road back from severe mental illness. Uh, Anyone who says, you know, you're pigeonholed and, right, you're bipolar or you're acute depression or you're post-traumatic stress disorder or or whatever the ailment is and that's all you'll ever be, you're going to have to, you know, you will not have a good and productive and flourishing life. Don't believe that because with the right tools – you can, you can recover, and you can actually be better than you were prior to becoming unwell because you got so much more knowledge about yourself. You learn through necessity what makes you tick. You learn what your triggers are. You learn about things that can maximise your good health. One of the other great lessons you get is you learn that it's important to unlearn. Yep. Unlearn. Unlearn. There's a lot of stuff we bring, we, we, we grow up with and we're carrying around from the age of three or four or 10 years of age or 15 years of age. It doesn't serve us anymore. In fact, it's, it's uh, the exact opposite. But we still got it there and unconsciously we've still got it. We've got to, we've got to look at that and say, well, maybe it's time to just, you know, 
let that go. Yeah, brilliant advice, brilliant advice. So I know it's something you're very passionate about. So if people want to find out more about how they can engage you to come and speak to them or share your wisdom, which you have today, can you ex- explain the best way to get in contact? Very easy. Craig-Hamilton.com. Yep. CraigHamilton.com in America, he's a psychic. He got the he got the tag first. That's what psychics should do. <laughs> it's Craig-Hamilton.com. He knew you were coming. He knew you were coming. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I'm easy to find there. So, and across all the media plat- social media platforms that we've talked about today and said it's not such a great idea. <laughs> well, mate, fantastic to have you. And as I said, you're a true inspiration and a real-life example of somebody that has overcome huge obstacles to be where you are today. should be very proud, mate. I am, so well done. Craig. Good on you. Great to see you. Thanks, mate. If this interview has raised any concerns for you, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14. The Health Hacker, written and presented by Adam McDougall. Produced and presented by Alex Mitchell. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.